0: You're listening to episode 87 of the Musicpreneur Mindset Podcast.
1: Hey, we're Sub Radio. You're listening to the Musicpreneur Mindset Podcast. Here's your host, Suze, founder of The
0: Rockstar Advocate. Hello, you're listening to episode 87, Musicpreneur Spotlight, Frankie Ray. I'm your host, Suze, a mindset coach helping music professionals get clear on their goals and find the time to get it all done while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. As almost everything these days goes, this is a different kind of spotlight than we're used to publishing on this podcast. This past February, I had the pleasure of speaking with musicpreneur Frankie Ray, focusing on how she's built her career around booking live shows. A few weeks later, the world was under lockdown and the live entertainment industry as we knew it halted. Serendipitously, the other week I was contacted by Jack Foreman, Executive VP of booking agency Biclosal Productions, to discuss the current state of live entertainment. We connected over Instagram Live last week, and I thought it would be helpful, after listening to Frankie's insightful advice about being your own advocate when booking shows, to hear from Jack about what to do now that most entertainment venues are shut down for the foreseeable future. In addition, I've released a bonus episode about what it's like to work with a career coach, and you'll get to hear a live coaching session between Frankie and I. We're managing to cover a lot with this one spotlight, don't you think? Simply listen to episode 88 right after this by going to the show notes page or hitting next on your podcast player. All of the resources and links that are mentioned throughout this episode can be found on the show notes page as well. Simply go to RockstarAffigate.com forward slash EP87. So first up we have Frankie Ray, a singer-songwriter based in Tampa, Florida. Her second album, Brave, was released in 2019 and is made up of upbeat acoustic pop originals. In addition to writing her own music, Frankie has collected over 300 cover songs into her repertoire, and during our conversation, she'll explain the importance of having so many songs to pull from when playing live. When we spoke, Frankie was averaging five to six shows a week and has performed at over 100 venues, including at NAMM for three consecutive years. She has managed to master the art of advocating for herself, a skill set every great music needs to have in their toolbox, and she has stayed flexible during these last few months in quarantine with no sign of slowing down as a performer. We've got a jam-packed episode, so let's dive in. Frankie, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with us today. Ah, oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I've already told our listeners a little bit about you, but I want, I want them to hear it from you. Why... Why music? Why? What makes you get up every day and say, "I'm going to do this," even though it can be incredibly hard and tiring. what What do you find satisfaction in with being a musician?
1: For me, I just don't know anything else that I could do that would make me happy. You know' It's, it's just who I am. Like I'm a musician. I don't know what else I would do. You know, I have um, a degree in a couple other things. I went to college, and then those things just weren't fulfilling me I don't I don't know what it was just the passion wasn't there and being a musician is who I am connecting with people through music being able to share my story um, being able to work with other artists and just create awesome sounds like that's just who I am
0: yeah so, that's yeah. beautiful I you know um I know you, you play so many live shows, and I definitely want to get into that because I know a lot of our listeners are like, how does she do it? I want to play a bunch of live shows. Uh-huh. Um, we'll definitely dig into that. But um, I'm curious, for somebody that is on stage as much as you are what, are, what have been some of your favorite moments? Like, Can you share for us some of your favorite moments from stage and, and interacting with the crowd? Like, What's something that really stands out to you?
1: Um, recently, I played a show at um, the Seminole Hard Rock casino. It's in Tampa. And um, they have this big, beautiful stage. And of course, when I first started music, I've always dreamed about playing on that stage. And I actually got booked a show there. And what was cool about it, I mean, it's it's a four-hour show. So, you know, I don't have four hours worth of original music. So I was playing a lot of cover songs too. But my favorite moment was when I would play my own original music. Everyone just seemed to love it. Like they would just you know, ask me questions afterward, like, what was that song about? Oh, I really like that one song. Oh, are you on Spotify? Let me follow you. So they weren't just there just to be entertained and just have background music. Like these people were really interested in my own music. So that was really rewarding. That was a really great moment. And I went on social media and like, all of a sudden I had all these followers and all these people were like tagging me in their Instagram story and their Facebook story. And it was just really cool to see that interaction.
0: Oh, that's wonderful! Yeah, that's got to be a really cool feeling. And I know you mentioned covers. Uh, I had seen on your website somebody had reviewed your show and said um, that you did a cover of No Diggity. I think oh, it was, yeah. <laughs> and that's really cool. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, as you mentioned, you know, not having enough um, original material to fill such a long show, um, how do you choose your covers? What makes you? kind of go from, you know, something as, as different as no diggity and and put your own spin on it. Or I know you also, um, really respect Mm -hmm. your fellow female singer songwriters. So what, how do you choose what kind of goes into that cover song catalog? So when I first started finding cover songs to play, I was just kind of doing the songs that other
1: people wanted to hear. Like I would always take requests or I would say, Oh, what kind of songs would you like me to learn? And, you know, they would say, you know, Wagon Wheel or something that, you know, just kind of a very common, easy song to play. So I, I kind of started with that. But then as I started doing it more, I kind of just started doing the songs that I like, you know, or covers that I would hear other people do. And I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. I'm going to try my own spin on that song. Or, you know, I've been doing a lot of like the late nineties bubblegum pop stuff because <laughs> you know, at, first I, at first I like wouldn't cover that stuff. So I'm just like, oh no, no one wants to hear that. But it's like, I don't know. I I grew up in the 90s, you know, especially the late 90s was when I was starting to buy my own CDs and I was getting into, you know, middle school. And so that kind of stuff was on the radio. You know, it was dominated by Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. And a lot of people kind of scoff at that and turn their nose up on it. But, you know, I can't deny the fact that that's what was on the radio when I was growing up. And that's, what I had access to. So, you know, I've, I've kind of been going back to that. I did some um, Backstreet Boys covers and Sync, and, you know what I mean? Because
0: that's just what I remember, you know, growing up. And it's, it's feel good music. And if you're looking to connect with an audience and they might not know who you are, that's a really great way to, you know, immediately connect with them and take them back to a time that, that you know, made them really happy and they know the words and That's great. Yeah, exactly. It's it's
1: nostalgic, you know.
0: And I also
1: grew up listening to the music that my mother listened to. So you know, sixties and seventies music from those eras. And you know, I kind of I started by learning those songs because I just felt like you know the people at my shows. You know, that's kind of like a. I don't want to say older crowd in like a, a mean way, but you know they are a little bit. They they always come up to me and they say, "Oh, how do you know all this old music? Like, how do you know Joni Mitchell and no?" And they're like, "That was popular when I was growing up." And I was like, "Well, I mean, it wasn't popular when I was growing up, but in my house it was popular." You know, I mean, I'm just as familiar with Joni Mitchell as I was mm. Britney Spears, and mm-hmm. she was all over the radio. You know
0: yeah it sounds to me like you also have a good sense of just knowing your audience to have that catalog so if you do get an older crowd you know what bag of tricks to kind of pull from and if you have a younger crowd or more of your peers you've got a bag of tricks in there to pull from so I know you're somebody who plays a lot of live shows I think you've mentioned you know 25 to 30 shows a month I mean that's you know every day playing, playing uh, live to people. And I know a lot of our listeners, you know, a struggle for them is to play more live shows. So what's kind of your process? Have you found certain things that work best for you? Was there a time where you really struggled with it and maybe have learned stuff since then? What, what can you shed some light on when it comes to booking shows?
1: Well, I guess I should start by saying there's a difference between, you know, the cover gigs I play and actual shows. I mean, I, I I still connect with other songwriters to try to book original shows. Um, but unfortunately, those you know, it's some people don't always come out to them. It's kind of hit or miss. Um, so a lot of the the shows that I play, they're more of like you know gigs at restaurants. Um, but it's it's still cool because I could sell my CDs and I could still play my own original music. Sometimes you're background music and sometimes you're not. You know, I did start struggling with it simply because I just didn't know anyone. I'm lucky enough to live in an area um, because I live, you know, in in Florida and there's a lot of tourists. And, you know, we have our snowbird season and all the restaurants along the beaches are just packed with visitors, you know, that are here for the next few months. And, you know, a lot of these places have live music every day, twice a day, you know. So mm, there are more opportunities to find places to play. But when I first started, you know... I would go into these restaurants and, you know, they had no idea who I was. So They're just like, yeah, well, we have a lot of other musicians that play here, too. And then it's kind of just the waiting game. You know, you just <clears throat> I, I started sending out, you know, 25 to 30 Facebook messages a day to these restaurants, in addition to going in there and introducing myself and. At first I thought, you know, message them on Facebook. Like that's, no, that's, I'm not going to do that. It doesn't sound professional, but a lot of these restaurants are booking through their Facebook, you know, the manager logs on and, and sends me a message back. And, you know, I've, so I started by doing that just constantly, I mean, daily, just, you know, I mean, by the week I would have sent out hundreds of messages to restaurants And usually with, for every hundred that you send out, you only get a handful of replies. And even then it's like, well, we're kind of full right now, but we'll keep, we'll keep you in mind. So I'd say for the first year I was getting that, you know, we'll keep you in mind. But then I'd be lucky enough to have one of them say, oh, we had a last minute cancellation. Can you please come in and play? And Mm. then I'd be like, okay, cool. So I would. And then that's kind of how you get your foot in the door with that place. I kind of started being, I guess, more aggressive, like at the end of those shows, if it was my first time playing somewhere, I would try to try my hardest to meet up with a manager or someone and say, okay, well, who does the booking here? Can I speak with him before I leave? And then I would say like, well, I have my calendar on me. And do you want to put some dates in the books, you know, right now? And I kind of became a little bit more aggressive with that and usually worked out pretty well, you know, um, and meeting other Musicians and going to their live shows and just kind of you know rubbing elbows with them a little bit, and letting them know, hey, if you ever need coverage, let me know. You know, I would love to play. It's a combination of so many other things. You know, sure. there's. I used to think there was one quick and easy way to to just book as much as you can, but it's just what won't work for one venue will work for another venue. You know, some places only want to. Book you if you come in and audition, you know, they'll say, Oh, we'll come in and play for an hour and let us hear you first. And other places we'll never hear you at all. And on Facebook, they'll say, Oh yeah, I have all these dates available. And
0: then they'll send you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I love, yeah. I love those, those tips and and thank you for sharing your process with us because you know, it also sounds like just as you've come to learn, you know, you've got your bag of trips, tricks there for your audience in terms of what songs are right to play given the, given the audience, you also, and this goes for every musician, you know, have your own bag of tricks that you don't know which trick or which, which approach is going to work with which venue. So you got to keep just trying them all. And as you've gotten more and more uh, experience under your belt with each venue, then, you know, when you go back to them, okay, this is how I have to approach this venue, or this is how I have to approach these people. And, and you just start to learn by doing. So I love, uh, especially when you said, You know, getting more aggressive. And it's really just not so much being aggressive as just being your cheerleader to say, Hey, I'm gonna make this request. This is what I wanna do. Who can I speak to? Let me get FaceTime with them. That's that's really an important thing that many overlook.
1: Yeah, and I used to be so nervous about that. I used to think, Oh, I'm gonna get on their nerves and they're gonna hate me. And and some restaurant managers, you know, do kind of say, like, okay, well. I'll get back to you when I get back to you, you know, because you got to remember there a lot of these restaurant managers, you know, they don't really they care about bringing in good musicians. You know, they want that to be a part of their restaurant that they want us there to kind of help create the ambiance and and everything like that. But they also don't really know the music business. A lot of these restaurant managers are like, oh, I just I just want to book out the whole year so I don't have to think about it, you know. And once that started happening, yeah. And I started saying like, oh, well, I mean, if you want to put me on like a steady rotation, that'll work too. Like every other Tuesday or something or every other Wednesday. And they would say, oh, great. that That's easy. Okay. (laughs) So then now they're like, boom, Tuesdays are covered. You know, I don't have to book anything else. And so I kind of, I started realizing that that's. It was like, okay, so all these things that they have to think about to run a successful restaurant. So music is just one small part of it, you know? So it's, it's a little bit, once you realize that you can kind of communicate with them more and think of, they just, they don't want to be bothered. You know what I mean? They're, they're too busy. So make it easy for them. Say, well, send them the dates that you have. Cause I used to wait for them to, to send me open dates, but then it's like, they don't have time to type all that out. You know, I send them what I have open. They open their calendar. Oh, okay. She's got these. Well, let me just book you for those. Right. Easy. Done. Right. You know, now I can go on to the other million things I have to do for my restaurant. Yeah. You know,
0: yeah. I love that. It's really, yeah. you know, we talk about that a lot on the podcast is coming from a place of service and putting yourself in their shoes, saying, How can I make your life easier? And if you can, if you can come at it from that approach, you know, it's, it'll be much more smooth sailing. <laughs> and I, I love that you do that. It's really, it's professional and it's understanding, as you said you know, different you're going to have those music venues that are music venues. And you might have some of those booking agents that are just, you know, kind of snot nose about music. And they're very particular about the sound that comes through their venue. And when you're dealing with a restaurant, it's a gotta, Yeah. yeah, You got to pivot with your approaches and really understand who you're, who you're dealing with. And that's great. Yeah.
1: And you got to understand their types of customers. You know, Mm -hmm. some places are a little bit more, um, I guess rougher I don't I don't know how to say it but like some restaurants want to hear you know old school rock or something like that you know what I mean like they don't want to hear slow and soft and sweet and then other places are just trying to eat and they prefer more mellow like a nice little mellow sound so then I do some of my softer songs mm-hmm. and I keep the volume down and you know it's all those all of those things you have to think about and then the managers notice that too they say you know you're a good fit here because you don't you know you actually understand what's going on. you 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 know you know who you're performing for
0: <laughs> absolutely. And if you don't mind me asking, can we can we talk about getting paid versus not getting paid for certain shows? Like how do you navigate those types of situations?
1: Usually, restaurants, they'll i mean, they'll they'll always pay. Some restaurants when I first started out didn't pay as much. Um, And now when I look back, I'm like, wow, they really don't pay their musicians that much at all. But I was just starting out. So I didn't really know any better. And I said, well, it's, you know, I'm going to have to not get paid at first. But restaurants and those types of cover gigs, they, they always pay. I mean, some musicians have their own price points, usually, you know, 50 an hour or, you know, give or take. And then, then you get tips, you know, you put out your tip jar. Some places are better at tipping than others, but I've walked out of some places where it's like the tips have been more than the pay Mm. of the show right so I I keep those places in mind and I'm just like okay I'm gonna try to get some more dates there as far as you know original shows like for example I played one just a couple weeks ago at this awesome little brewery and I loved it there were so many other songwriters there but we really didn't get paid I mean there was a tip jar that was out and we all split it but it wasn't you know I mean it was enough to cover you know, the bartender. Right, right. <laughs> but it's, it's fine, because, you know, I, I don't want to look down on those restaurant cover gigs. Because I mean, the, I say it that part of the that's like my day job doing those restaurant cover gigs. But that kind of makes it sound like it's less than it is, you know, it's I, I take those things very seriously. And they, they're what help me pay the bills. And then you know, the original gigs, it's like, you don't really get paid for those. I mean, unless you're selling tickets, I've had some shows where we would sell enough tickets, but even then it's still not, you know, as much as what the restaurant gigs would pay, Mm -hmm. but that's a sacrifice. You know, I, I make sure I have enough of those cover gigs to pay the bills. So that way I can take off a Friday night or a Saturday night and go do this awesome songwriter night and probably not get paid.
0: Sure. And I, you know, I love that you've you know, embrace the cover band shows and to see the value in them is, you know, is really important because as you said, it allows you to do the other opportunities that, that you want to do. And, and I'm sure, and you can please correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, these other performances, when you're playing cover shows, you're still working on your craft as a performer. You're still interacting with the crowd. You're still, you know, there's so much of it, that, you know, it's not wasted time. It's certainly not wasted. You know, you're making money, but it's also just improving your craft as a performer. Absolutely. And that, that, that's
1: how I've, I've been able to, to learn so many new songs and learn about new artists that I've never heard of. Mm. You know, someone would come up and be like, Oh, have you heard of this girl? I'm like, no, they're like, Oh, you should cover one of her songs. It'd sound really good. And I'd listen and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I love this. You know? So it's, finding new music's always great. Learning new music's always great. And another thing too, I've, I've played some shows, you know, um, like recently at, uh, last month I was in Los Angeles or I was in Anaheim. Um, and I played the house of blues and normally that kind of show, I mean, that was an all original show. There were tickets. It was kind of a big thing. Mm-hmm. Normally that kind of show would have just scared me to death. Like, but I wasn't, nervous. I don't, I, it's like, I got up and my drummer was like, Oh, you're nervous. And I'm just like, no, because <laughs> like, we're, we're doing the same thing. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's, I'm literally, per, I'm performing the same songs that I perform every night in front of strangers. Mm. You know, I perform in front of strangers every night playing songs. Sometimes I know the songs well, sometimes it's my first time playing them and I totally bomb it, but it's fine. Cause I've learned how to, to mess up in front of people and, you know, figure out how to like, Oh, I can, Oh, I, I messed that part up, but I can change my voice to kind of fit with it, and mm. so it's it's constant practice and it's constant experience. No matter where you're at, whether you're at the Hard Rock or whether you're at some you know tiny little cafe,
0: and you know I wanna I wanna hit upon your original music too. Your last release, Brave, came out yeah. last year. Yeah, and congratulations on that. Thank and you. can you, Thank you? Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more? About that, and I know that, um, you know, your influences from those 60s female singer-songwriters and those in the 90s, you know, what role do they play in how you craft your original music? I
1: have always been attracted to the storytelling
0: aspect of music from those eras.
1: You know, Joni Mitchell's always telling some kind of story. I, I just love that element of just here's my story. Here's something, here's an idea that I had. Here's something that I want to just kind of explain to you, you know, the situations going on in my life. So that's really what kind of influenced, I mean, that always influences my own music, you know, like with Brave, you know, you can listen to different songs and they're each telling a different story, whether it's me feeling insecure about, you know, my music or whether it's me telling people to, you know, back off let me like you know do my own thing i don't need i don't need you to like give me advice on everything some of the stuff i want to figure out on my mm-hmm. own you know something else is is kind of a fun song about being in a relationship with someone that you maybe shouldn't you might have to hide it and sweep it under the rug and not let anyone know about it so it's there's all these little stories that are going on and that's that's really what i write my music around you know i i have the story first and then kind of ponder the melody a little bit and think about, you know, do I want it to be upbeat and what do I want to, what do I want this to be about? I just love telling the story. I love, you know, just having these lyrics where you can read them on you know, without the music, you can still read them and, mm-hmm. you know, get that feel and know what I'm talking about, like a poem, you know?
0: Yeah. I, I really enjoyed, I took a listen through it before we spoke and I re it's really, it's beautiful music. It's got a lot of different, emotions. And as you said, stories to tell. So I do really encourage everybody to go listen to it for all of our listeners links to her Spotify and all streaming services can be found in our show notes and you can also find it at frankyray.com and that link is in our show notes as well if if you need to go find it before we before we wrap up this part and I still got a, a few more questions that we ask every guest yeah. but I want to know what's what's next for you in 2020 I mean you've already you seem like you've had a great start so far you've had some some cool TV appearances and yeah. And you've been continuing to book shows. But what else is coming up for you in this new year?
1: Um, I really want to start. I mean, I want to release another album this year um, at the end of this year, or at least start the process of recording a new album. I do have a single that I want to release that I'm kind of planning right now with some people to kind of get together in the studio and release that. Um, The song is called Theodora. So that should be Mm -hmm. releasing in the next couple months. Probably one of my favorite ones, especially like lyrically. I'm really excited. I kind of, I liked what I did with the song. And then while I'm doing that, I'm going to start laying down tracks for another album. And, you know, it's it's so early in the process. I don't know if it'll happen this year or maybe, you know, January of 2021. This year is about making new original music, you know, because I had Brave release and I kind of wrote on that for a little bit and was really trying to push those songs and But now I have a lot of new songs
0: that I'm just excited to start getting down. Well, congrats with that. We look forward to to seeing what comes next for you. I do want to let our listeners know, as I said in the beginning of the episode, stay tuned because Frankie was brave enough to allow us to do a coaching session, which uh, we'll have as a bonus episode. So keep listening and stay tuned for our next episode with her. But Frankie, before we leave, I have a few questions, my rapid fire questions that we ask every guest. Okay, And so here. Here we go. If you could go back and tell your younger self one lesson, what would it be? Be patient. Don't compare yourself to others. <laughs> Such a hard lesson to learn, especially when you're young. Yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely.
1: Yeah, just patience. Patience. You got this. You don't need to look at someone else's success and think that you're not, you know, going to get there because they got there before you did. You know, just keep keep and be calm,
0: be patient. <laughs> uh, gold right there yeah. absolutely thank you and if you could have one superpower what would it be I'd like to be invisible
1: <laughs> I could I feel like I could because I love to travel so if I were invisible I could just hop on a plane and just kind of stand and go wherever I wanted to go <laughs> like literally wherever wherever <laughs> you want to go <laughs> yeah I mean you could hop yeah. in
0: yeah that's probably our most creative answer we've had so far for that question <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> so, if you could invite three musicians, living or dead, to dinner, who would they be? Harry Nilsson, Alanis Morissette, and Bob Dylan. Solid, solid <laughs> guest list. <laughs> <Thanks. laughs> being that you're our guest, you get to choose um, an action. What is something you would like our listeners to go do this week? Ooh, I, uh, I, started,
1: this, I started reading The Artist's Way, which is a really cool like, workbook about being more creative. Mm-hmm. And she had this one task. Where she said, write down three things, like in, a, in another life or just your wildest dreams, three maybe professions that you would like to be, whether it's an astronaut or whatever it is, um, anything, write them down and then go try to do something related to those things. So she said, for example, if you want to be a country singer, maybe go to a guitar store and, you know, try to strum a few chords on a thing or on a guitar or, um, or if you want to be like the CEO of a business, maybe go to like a business park and bring a laptop and, you know, do whatever you need to work on. So three three things that maybe you'd want to be in another life, any kind of career, and go try to do something related to those things.
0: I thought that was a fun. I had, awesome. I had some yeah. fun with that. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, I'm a big fan of The Artist's Way and and um, listeners, I'll definitely put a link to that book in the show notes. But that's such a yeah. great exercise because it also just unlocks so much more creativity perspective about different lives (laughs) and different paths yeah yeah, that's really incredible Hmm. i'm also going to give everybody a second actionable this week and that is to go follow and check out frankie ray go stream her music brave online you won't regret it and thank you, Frankie, so much for taking the time to shine a light on how you've built a career out of playing live and doing what you love and, and sharing with us your process, because I know a lot of musicians struggle with that a lot and learning from the things, the steps that you've taken and the way you've learned to be um, an advocate for yourself. <laughs> um, and for oh, yeah. you. yourself is is really an important lesson for a lot of people to learn. So thank you for taking the time to share that with us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Frankie for sharing her insights and experience with us, and I know that she hasn't let this pandemic slow her down. As you're about to hear, being able to pivot is crucial for withstanding this ever-changing industry. As I explained earlier, I'm providing the recording of my conversation with Jack Foreman of Bicultural Productions to shine a light on ways independent musicians can still continue to perform live through streaming and make money and build a following while they're at it. First, a little background on Jack. Jack Foreman serves as Executive Vice President of Bicultural Productions, the New York City-based concerts and theatrical booking agency. His current clients include Lee Rocker of Stray Cat's, Naturally Seven, Colin Mora- Mortree, I hope I pronounced his name right, from Whose Is It Anyway? The Hitmen, Scotland's Red Hot Chili Pipers, Vegas Strip Favorites, The Bronx Wanderers, and The Daily Show Writers Comedy Tour, Love Them. Originally spearheading the agency's coverage in the Western United States, Jack now oversees the core agency staff and global touring strategy. He remains actively involved with the industry organizations such as Western Arts Alliance, North American Performing Arts Managers and Artists, and the Association of Performing Arts Professionals. So we are very lucky to have him here with us. I can't wait to get started. I'm going to bring him on. Hold on. He's coming. Hello.
2: Hey, <laughs> Sus. How's it going?
0: Good, good. All right. So we got some great peeps here joining us. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, I just read everybody your very uh, impressive um bio and i first want to just ask how are you doing since this pandemic started how are things going for you
2: you know what i'm trying to keep things half full here um, i'm working from home here in new jersey my office is usually in new york city but uh, i haven't been in the city for several months now it feels like a record and uh i'm not gonna lie i've kind of embraced it we have a uh A one-year-old daughter here at home so I've really gotten to enjoy that time uh, way more than I ever would have commuting in every day so that's really been a blessing
0: nice yeah we gotta we gotta keep focused on the positives here so I'm definitely all about that so I wanted to kind of jump right into it and say you know beyond the the traveling how has your role changed I mean how how are your clients what have you guys had to do um since everything's been kind of on hold in the in the live arena
2: we've had to kind of think outside the box so that we can be a resource to our clients right now Mm -hmm. and we can still continue to serve them while they're not out on the road touring or they're not booking shows like they were Uh, Luckily, we are still booking shows for the future, you know, we're kind of keeping resilient with the venues that we work with and the promoters we work with. And the biggest thing we've been able to do for our artists is really advise them on alternative ways they can still engage their audiences and alternative ways that we can offer them up to promoters and buyers when we start booking them again. When people are at scaled down capacities, uh, we're working with a lot of different streaming services. And uh, things like that to really try to give them something to partner with to really keep them, keep them motivated. So, you know, we, we do it more with some artists and less with others, but it's really what we've had to do. I think right now when we're not just focusing on their bookings.
0: Right. Yeah. P- pivoting. It's the it's what makes us all survive. This industry is pivoting constantly. So what do you say to musicians who maybe don't have an agency behind them, maybe who you know ha- thought they'd be touring or, or booking shows throughout the summer and now can't, what can we say to them?
2: Uh, well, whether or not you want to hear it or not, or whether or not this actually is something you want to hear from an agent, uh, we've kind of adapted the belief that adversity is a terrible thing to waste. Um, and you're given this opportunity to use this downtime as an artistic incubator for your career. And yes, obviously supporting your family and putting food on the table comes first, but if you have the time to be creative and really reflect on your art and your and your strategy, you're really doing the right thing and also trying to find new ways of engaging your audiences, you know, it, it really doesn't take that much to go live and mm-hmm. still make an impact. You know right. all you really need is a, a laptop or an iphone and your guitar and a mic and some people have it set up a little bit more advanced than others but i i really think that you can't you can't just kind of wallow in it or else you're going to be waiting a long time you you know if you if you speculate on what you're seeing in the stock market and what you're seeing on cnn or whatever news source you get your news from There may be another wave of this. There may be a lot of changes with um, social distance guidelines, but you can't really afford to think that way when it comes to your touring career as an artist, whether you have an agent or not, you really need to look at it as, all right, I got to adapt. I got to adapt. I'm going to survive. And I'm sure you advise a lot of your clients on this. You can't really in 2020 afford to not have some sort of a business mind to your artwork.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's also important, and, and we talk about this a lot too, is mo- having multiple streams of income. If you're relying solely on touring and something like this happens, this is why, you know, you've got to keep, you've got to keep those um, other interests and other uh, areas open for your career. So I, and I wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying. Sometimes the real talk is tough love and that, you know, the, the sooner we can accept that this is the position we're in, the sooner we can do something about it. And as a musician, you're creative. So be creative, you know, and I think a lot of musicians forget too, they put all their creativity into the songs, but they don't give themselves credit that you, that means you can also be creative with business and you don't have to have an MBA to have this all figured out. You know, you can, you can get creative and try new things. And I I love what your agency is doing and how you're adapting and being there for your clients. Um, One of our, Lovely viewers asked, when musicians are going live, do you recommend promoting it to your audience first or just going live in the moment?
2: Definitely promoting it first because you want to give people an experience that they're anticipating a little bit, especially if it's free. Somebody that's looking to go live, I recommend doing it regularly and at the same exact time every week. You make it an event. And mm. once you start integrating ticketing, which is something you can do now because of the software and the technology that's available to just about anybody, uh, right. you, really, you really have a lot of benefit there. And if you if you go live at the same time every week, you build an audience a lot better that way. Right. I, I 100% think you promote it in advance and you, you get a lot better return on it.
0: And are you finding, you know, I'm kind of testing this out myself, you know, I found not leaving too much time in between when you're promoting, and when you're going live. I mean, I think because so many people are going live, that if I give my audience too much of an advance, it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. I mean, that's what I found. But what do you recommend in terms of how, how often you remind them or how, how much leeway you give them, you know, how much um, uh, runway time you give to promoting a live, you know, what, what would you recommend?
2: I would recommend if it's free definitely doing that. You know, don't don't it's an, it's going to be an impulse type of thing, kind of like when you're promoting a concert on the radio.
1: Right.
2: Don't don't give it a lot of lead time. However, if you are selling tickets, I would recommend giving it some more lead time because then it becomes a marketing and a sales cycle that you have to be concerned with so that you can actually Do something with it. I think, uh, you know, one of the platforms that we've partnered with on a friendly basis is uh, Joel and Benji Madden's platform, Veeps, from Mm -hmm. Banggood Charlotte. And one of the things that Joel told me was that it really, it really comes down to what the artist wants to put into it. You know, they could, they could decide that they just want to see what happens or an independent artist who may not have a massive fan base can decide to get very creative, you know, go live, set up a $5 ticket and end up walking away with a few thousand dollars because they sold to an audience that that just wanted a fun experience where they got to be interactive with it and they got to they got to promote it from their own voice you know Mm -hmm. it's it's funny to think about you know somebody like me talking about it because typically agents aren't involved in live streaming and that kind of stuff but now with ticketing and with the various performing rights organizations you need to worry about you have to you may want to consult somebody, whether it's an agent or a lawyer or somebody, just so you're, you're not stepping on any toes or getting in trouble with that.
0: Makes total sense. One of the things that comes up a lot is the virtual tip jar. You know, do I do it? Do I do it if I'm already charging for the live? How do I bring it up? You know, what do I just put like a sign in the, you know, I think people get, um, iffy, you know, asking for money or asking for tips, but, i know so many people have made majority of their money from the virtual tip jar so what would you say to that
2: it doesn't hurt you know you're you you really won't know it until you try it but i i don't see any kind of a downside to it especially if you can also tie it into some sort of a not-for-profit or service organization where you may have two chip jars you may have one for yourself and one for uh, x organization or you can say outright portion of this is going to be going to a certain organization of my choice. And that really is a good way of engaging people and people with the means do want to support, you know, we're finding, we're finding some crazy, crazy case studies happening now. We have a friend of ours who has uh, like an orchestral big band down in the Carolinas and they've been going live every week and they really produce it nicely and they ticket it. But what they do is they offer a $10 ticket to join. But they also offer a $50 ticket and a $100 ticket and a $500 ticket where you're getting the exact same experience, but you're able to support the artist on a much higher level. And every single broadcast, they're getting at least five people buying those $500 tickets. And it's crazy because, you know, you're not and, and you know, you may be able to offer something extra with the Madden's platform. What they're able to do is they uh, they've integrated a thing where you can you can include some extras with your ticket. Like if you pay a $30 ticket, we'll also send you a free t-shirt or some Mm -hmm. other type of merch category with it. You Mm -hmm. want to get creative with it, but you know what? It's, it's okay to ask for money because you are working, you are putting your life's work out for people and people who have the means do want to be contributing. And you also can't fault the people who don't, who just want to be entertained because um, I guess entertainment is a right, whether you want to look at it, blanket uh, as a blanket or not i i genuinely think there's a lot you can do with it right
0: yeah and um shay was mentioning a lot of artists are pinning their chip tip jar to the comment in the live yeah because yeah as as jack said guys ask you know amanda palmer had her ted talk where it's like you gotta ask and and there's no shame in that and as jack said you're working you're providing a service and there's nothing wrong with um, putting a price on that. That was great. And Diana says, how long do you go live? Like how long do you make a show? Do you do like a short and sweet set or do you do more of like an hour long thing? Do you have any suggestions for that?
2: If, uh, again, if it, it also has to do with whether it's free or not, but if it's free, I'd say keep it to, keep it between 30 to 45 minutes, 45 minutes to an hour, if you've got a large fan base tuning in, because you do want to give them an experience. If it's ticketed, you're going to want to go, I'd say at least 45 minutes to an hour, if not hour to hour and a half. You also have to keep in mind that people's attention spans in their homes are a lot less. Millennials, you cut that in half even. Um, I I think Millennials have the lowest attention spans of anybody in history, including myself. And I really think that you, you shoot yourself in the foot if you try piling on too much you see that you see the people who do it on twitch every day whether they're 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 influencers gamers or more musicians you know they keep it simple and they they just have it scheduled to go live at that one time
0: right yeah i think that's great and just to reiterate what jack said earlier for those of you who might have missed it you know pick a time pick a day during the week that you're always going to go live and keep it consistent so that way you build up that habit with your audience of like, Oh, it's Tuesdays at eight. It's time to watch Diana. You know, it's like people then know that they can tune in and see you more regularly. Um, Jen says, what do you find people enjoy most music or music mixed with Q and a, that's a great question. I get asked a lot about like how interactive should you be? Should you just stop every couple of songs and talk with the audience? Like, do you have any tips about, um, or, or anything you've been noticing that's been working for artists?
2: I personally, when it comes to the way I consume content, I hate frequent interaction. I do like a little bit, though. You know, if you're especially if you look at Twitch again as an example, because they're trying to grow their, you know, their music programming a lot more with the live streamers. uh, I think it's cool. You know, they they recognize people that support them. But when it's every second, I lose interest. Again, my, my millennial attention span kicks in. I do love an interactive concert though. I think it's, I think it's a lot of fun. It's not, it's not a new thing. You know, you may remember a number of years ago before we even dreamt of a pandemic or even a lot of virtual live streams. uh, I think Ben Folds did it with, um, with he did with Chat Roulette like Mm -hmm. 10 years ago or something and it was hilarious. And he, people were making requests and they were sending in songs. I, I love that. I think it's something that, that people really like doing, but at the same time, as long as it's not a constant back and forth. You kinda wanna let the artist sit back and do their thing and you wanna, you wanna still not lose that mystique, if you will. I, I, right. I mean, it's it's tough to maintain a mystique in the modern age and a lot of it's gone out the window, but I'm a firm believer that you still wanna keep a shred of it, you know?
0: Yeah, I think it's really comes down to what your audience is responding to. I agree with Jack, you know, just like you would, if you were sitting up in, um, you know, uh, the bitter end, and you're gonna play a few songs. Stop. Maybe introduce what a song is about. You know, comment about it or 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 get feedback from the audience. But then, like, get to the music. So I I really think also it comes down to what did you tell people this was gonna be. If you said I'm going to play a concert for you, and you're spending the whole time just like, hey guys, like, what are you doing? What's going on? That's not what they were were promised. So just make sure that whatever you're doing is what you said you were coming on to do, because that's going to build, that's going to build trust.
2: I, I like to know what I'm buying into pretty quickly, unless it's something that I, I know from a fact, I'm going to be a little surprised, but then you, you, you really don't have as much of that with virtual programming as you would with a real live show, which right. it, it is coming back. You just gotta, you just gotta be realistic and kind of speculate a little bit as to what it's going to look like.
0: Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Have you, I'm just curious, I don't know what you're able to share or not, we're not asking for names, but have you found um, your clients, was there a lot of panic? Like what was kind of the, like the, how have you guys been? I know that you've been able to pivot and be there for them in different ways, but was there a lot of like talking off the ledge a bit? Like what has been the experience or have your clients just been like, I'm game, let's just go with it. What's the next thing?
2: The first two days when I think when things really started to go downhill, it was the middle of March and the show cancellation started coming in, we had several different bus tours out on the road in the US, two of them are uh, two of them were internationals. So I was panicked that we weren't gonna be able to get them home to their own countries. And, you know, a lot of people did kind of get, they got uptight, they got uneasy, they got a little bit angry, to be honest with you, because every state was different and every situation was different and we couldn't give them as clear direction. But I'd say after those first two days, we were very fortunate to have most of our people come and say, you know what, it's gonna be what it's gonna be. Just get it rescheduled. If we can get it this rescheduled, there's gonna be a light at the end of this tunnel. Even though it's not necessarily going to be new revenue, it's gonna be deferred, but it's still going to be revenue. And it's better to have it later than to lose it completely. And I think I think that was something that a lot of people were able to embrace and now it's just it's people have really impressed us and it's been very humbling uh, the best thing people have been doing as as venues start reopening and planning their reopenings is adjust the scope of their performance where they may say you know what we're gonna do two shows in one day because you're only able to sell half cap so we'll do two shows to make up for it we're already there why not you know it's, mm-hmm. it's we all have to do our part we'd rather do that than cancel the entire trip so Right. You know, it's, it's been great. It's also been challenging. We have had to be there for people. I've had to listen, to a few people scream and a few people um, really have to have difficult conversations. I've had to have some of the most difficult conversations of my career with people with venues that I've worked with for years. It's been the farthest thing from pleasant, but it's also allowed all of us to grow. And it's, it's something that is not made a stop. We're really just looking ahead and trying to be optimistic about this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I feel like w- what's going on right now, not that it can compare precisely, but I was working at the major labels in the sales departments in 2005 and 2006 when Tower mm-hmm. Records was closing and Virgin Megastore was closing and all of the accounts that we relied on to buy our product uh were closing and so we had to kind of reimagine what the sales department did and, and how the sales department got the product out and what the product was now going to be so you know I think um pivoting and reimagining our roles in the music industry is something that comes with the territory and um I think you guys are are doing a great job there. We have a few more questions. Alex wants to know um if you have any recommendations for um services for tick for selling tickets. Is there any um, service that you would recommend if people are selling tickets to their live show?
2: You want to find one that's not going to gouge you on the percentages because it's essentially a door split. You know, when you go to a venue and you do a back end split or a door split, it's really just that there's no guarantee. Um, so you want to find one where you're going to get a fair split or you're going to get a hundred percent of it. One of the things I like about veeps with the Maddens is that they created something where the artist actually gets a hundred percent of the ticket revenue yeah. because the, their fee, their, you know, their makeup of it is charged to the ticket buyer. The only thing you really have to split at the end is you just have to factor out the credit card processing fees, which okay. they're going to be pretty minimal. It's going to be a few dollars here and there. And it's not, right. gonna, you know, and, and we've seen people literally clear, there was one artist, I think they cleared 40k in one stream on veeps. And hmm. it was because they got creative. it was a bigger artist, mind you, it wasn't, right. you know, an indie artist, but There's another one that I just um, was on the phone with on Monday. There's another new service that some of you may have heard of if you're into the indie scene is uh, Noon Chorus is one. They actually found a way to I guess they don't they don't have a set percentage that they take or that they ask the ticket buyer to pay. But they do also factor in the credit card percentage. So I I like that one. Mm -hmm. What it really comes down to, though, is how you're going to market it and. I I don't like I wouldn't always recommend ticketing with a conventional platform only because they're not built for that I'm sure they will adapt and they you'll see new ones come out, but for now, there's some good resources to To use in the in the meantime
0: Awesome, and Diana says what platform do you think has the best audio or streaming quality? Or is it more based on what you use on your end? I mean, I don't know
2: <laughs> Yeah, it's that's a that's a tough one. I I a majority of the streaming platforms are going to depend on your your wi-fi connection and your sound card and everything you input a lot of them are relying on this software obs that some of you may know about it really was a software that was made popular by all the gamers on twitch but now musicians are using it like crazy to go live because it basically turns your laptop into a tv studio where you can switch between your cameras if you have to and it really allows you to run whatever quality of audio you're, you're going into through this software, just output it into the streaming platform. Again, I, I don't, I don't think it matters if you use Veeps or if you use stage it, or if you use YouTube live or Facebook live, it really has to do with your Wi-Fi and your, um, and, and your mic, you know, if you, if you don't have an expensive mic, it's okay. As long as you really have a good connection and you're in a quiet enough space that's a big one, but they're really, they're really, that's another one where you're, you, you better keep in touch with it because they're going to have, um, they're going to have new ones every day. I can, I've already seen it with podcasts. There's, there's one where you can literally have your guest record in crystal clear audio while you're recording on your end without a lot of latency issues too. So it's going to change every day, but I think it really has to do with, with what you're putting out on your end.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Excellent. And um, I know I have one more question for you. Are you guys still taking on clients? I mean, in this new world, is it just kind of managing the ones you have now as you guys reconfigure what's going on? Or in the streaming world, are there things you look at to see like, oh, this person, this person's making waves, you know, I, let's see how we can get on board. Or is that not really a thing yet?
2: We're open, you know, if, if, if a great, if a great opportunity comes along where we're the right fit for an artist, I'm not, I'm not going to just dismiss it outright. I'm not as keen on taking a risk on something or really committing to something that I'd have to spend years to build right now when the future is so uncertain, but Mm -hmm. I really do. I'm always open. You know, I'm, I, if I see something with trajectory and I see something where an artist has just really develop the full package to make my job so much easier. Um, I, I'm I'm always open. It's really that's, that's really the best thing somebody can come to us with is the full package of a great, a great marketing roadmap for their career with great numbers, great data, I guess, great, great materials in general, that's right. really what I what I look for. So I'm not I'm not opposed, I just, I may not take as many risks.
0: Right? No, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, as they say, like, build it and they were they will come like, unfortunately guys, there's no magic wand. An agency is not going to swoop in and just do this for you. You guys have to play around with it. Take, take your own risks and and see what's working. And then in agencies like Jack, if, if the power's really there, then, you know, then they'll, they'll know if it's, it's something they can work with. As uh, we wrap up here, Jack, I first, I just want to thank you for making the time to come and speak with us about this, because I know that this has been, a real stress for people and a real question mark of, of what they, you know, where they go from here. So thank you for sharing um, and being very transparent about what you guys are doing over there as a booking agency um, and production company. Well,
2: yeah, and thank you for having me uh, as, as your guest. And it's great to talk to you and great to talk to anybody that you're working with. You know, just the, the, the only thing I can say is really just keep at it and half full. Half, yeah. full, really, that's all you can do. And, uh, you know, if you want to find out more about us by coastalproductions.com. for submissions, the best way to do it is uh, talent at by coastal productions, it's not just a dump email, I promise it's really something we do read. It's just, it's better than getting lost in my inbox where a lot of things could get lost. And, um, you know, if you've got any other cool ideas about streaming, please send them my way. I'm, I'm wide open. I, I'm always looking for quirky new ideas, especially in the tech space.
0: Thank you so much for being a part of this. I really appreciate you sharing all of this uh, info with our community. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you. appreciate you having me.
0: So now that you've heard from Frankie pre-pandemic and Jack pandemic present, what are your biggest takeaways? What actions will you take to build your career in new ways? Be sure to tell us in the comments of the show notes page, therockstaradvocate.com forward slash EP87, and stay tuned for the bonus episode, my coaching session with Frankie, as well as my tips on finding and working with a coach. Until next time, Rockstar, have a wonderful week, and I hope to see you back here next time so we can get grounded to get rising. Take care.